we can really have an impact in the society by making people use those tools and have access to those tools. Welcome to the Mayo Challenge podcast, the podcast where you hear all the ins and outs around this year's competition, the Mayo Challenge 2023. A unique opportunity to advance our understanding of how we humans move. I'm talking about training neural networks that can control complex movements in a virtual body and how this can improve our lives in the future. My name is Anik van Damme. I work as a tech journalist and I've always been fascinated about how technology can transform and improve our lives. Let me introduce you to my co-host, Steven van Roon. Uh, Steven is one of the driving forces behind the Robotics Center at the University of Twente. Hi, Steven. Hi, Yannick. I'm really looking forward to start this podcast and find out more about how robotics technology is being developed. We see it daily, but now we can hear it in the podcast. Yes. Um, you're from the Robotics Center. What is this center all about? Well, the Robotics Center is about research, education and innovation. And the research is about the robotics technology and the impact of the technology on human life. It can be improvements in precision technology or looking from a social perspective, how we deal with robots. And of course, robotics connected directly with our body, prosthesis and wearable robotics. And there's a the nice bridge to the topic of this podcast series. There it is, because in this series you discover how we push the boundaries in neuromechanics. And we hope to inspire you with interviews with brilliant experts on AI and robotics. As we speak, there are teams around the globe working on this competition and, very important, at the end of this series, you know how to be part of the next edition and help pushing the boundaries yourself. Yes, but let's start with the basics, because in this first episode, we find out how it all started. What is the challenge exactly? What was the vision and ambition when it started? And what about those two main challenges for this year? There's only one person who can tell us all about it. It's Massimo Sartori, and he's based right here in the Netherlands. This professor leads the Neuromechanical Engineering Lab here at the University of Twente. In my lab, we have two major research tracks. One is more basic and the other one is more applied. On the basic side, we develop digital twins of the human body, which, is, which are basically a set of equations that uh, describe how we move and how our brain controls our body. And on the other hand, uh, anything that we learn from these digital twins, we use them to establish the so-called human-robot interfaces. So we connect wearable robots such as exoskeletons or bionic limbs with the human body with the idea of restoring uh, or uh, replacing uh, lost motor functions. So we work with amputees or with stroke patients or with spinal cord injury patients as well. What is MyoSuite and the Mayo Challenge and why is it important? Yes, so MyoSuite is, is an initiative that started, um, I think it must have been in 2021, um, when um, I was contacted by some uh, researchers at Meta Artificial Intelligence Lab, uh, Vittorio Caggiano and, uh, and Vikash uh, Kumar. Um, <clears throat> they were experts and they still are experts on artificial intelligence. However, they had this idea of combining AI with digital twins. Um, and this is basically the expertise that comes from my lab, digital twinning, especially for the human body. 
So we started to, to brainstorm and exchange ideas. And uh, a year later, the, the concept of MyoSuite took place. MyoSuite is an open source platform that everyone can use that essentially combines um, artificial intelligence with uh, digital twins of the human body. And within this platform, you can teach these digital humans to perform very complex uh, movements, such as manipulations or locomotion. And I think it's, um, it's an outstanding tool to gain better knowledge on how we move, uh, but also how injury affects the way we move and how technology can change yeah. uh, our, our disability. So you can really do what-if analysis. You can tweak some parameters in the model or you can add a robot in, in, in parallel or in series with the human body and you can see what the effect this has without having to um, recruit a real person uh, and to perform very costly and, and lengthy experiments. In my view, and that's, that's my hope, is that we can really design the optimal rehab intervention in simulation before we apply that to a real person. So the overall goal of MyoSuite, a platform packed with digital human twins, is to gain knowledge on how we move. And you can use models of the human arms, hands, legs, and even full body models. With these models available on the platform, scientists can simulate an intervention and optimize it before they deploy it on real humans. It all starts with curiosity. And while young Sartori grows up in Italy, there's another boy in central eastern India curious about how things work. I was always this uh, kid who will open things up in the home and never been able to put them back. I, I guess the story is quite common. I think I hear about people who are in the same field. That curiosity of how things move and work has always gotten us farther than anything else. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. My name is Vikash Kumar. Natural evolution has taken a long time to get us here. And there are lots of secrets hidden underneath. Not necessarily we have to replicate them, but understanding them would be phenomenal. Not just for understanding and scientific curiosity, but the way this world works today. The more we understand, the more we can improve quality of life the more we can make support systems for people in difficult situations. That's why understanding how the fundamentals of movement emerge is very, very important to me. It all comes down to one question for our initiators from Mayo Suite and Mayo Challenge that we will discuss in a minute. One simple question these people are cracking their heads around. How human movements are generated. You hear the third founder, Vittorio Caggiano, in 2021, he works as a researcher for Meta in New York. He still lives there when we speak with him. He is puzzled by the complexity of the human central nervous system. For years, he was trying to understand that in vain. We have too many neurons. We have it's such a big complexity that it's too difficult to handle just at the experimental level. We need computational tools. 
we need data collection at scale. We need something that is much bigger than what typical experimental uh, neurophysiologists or neuroscientists do. That brought me forcing an experience in IBM research where I started doing uh, through AI. Say, okay, let's use the data uh, source and let's hammer on large, large data scale collection. But that came to a conclusion that we actually were very limited in generalizability and um, variety, heterogeneity of diverse behavior and diverse populations. So we need something that is able to replicate and scale human physiology in order to understand how humans do so that we can create a replica a digital twin and we can scale that understanding. So that basically brought me to come to, uh, to go to Meta and find uh, with Massimo Sartori Vikash Kumar a really dream team to address these studies and look into how we can understand how humans move. With Sartori and Kumar on board, the dream team has left the launching pad. Let's move away from conversations in our own bubble, Kajano says. Let's bring everybody together. Let's have everybody speaking the same, in, on, at least on the same reference. And then if we, even if we use a different language, we can converge, at least in having some common understanding of what we are trying to achieve. And that might generate much more information, can also change some perspective of some bias that implicitly everybody has approaching the problem from their point of view and then be enriched by those discussions, those interactions. Combining these fields make this a unique project. Yes, we have had digital twins before, and yes, we have AI libraries available, but it's the combination of these blocks that makes this platform a Kickstarter for innovation. A playground that anybody can work with, using digital twinning as a core methodology, that opens the path to many future applications to help valid and impaired humans. It is in that digital human twin that we can learn about our own species by simulation. Simulation has many benefits and it is used in many fields. Take energy grids, when constructing a house, or even in stock markets. You hear Massimo Sartori. If you think about most engineering products right now, if you think about a car, or if you think about a, an aircraft, they're actually designed completely in simulation before they're built. They're basically designed on a software, they're optimized, and only after that they're built. And, and the, reason, the rationale is that the trial and error process is done in simulation. You don't have to actually build it and then trash it and then rebuild it. So it's cost effective and it's fast. And the vision here is, can we, at least for me, can we do that also for rehab? Can we actually design the optimal rehab intervention in simulation? Uh, can we have a digital twin of a person and then simulate uh, an intervention and optimize that for that person before we deploy it? So what if I uh, was in a car crash and my foot was stuck between whatever uh, and my foot had to be amputated, uh, let's say, beyond the knee? What, where would the Mayo Suite fit in here? Yes. So I think what Mayo Suite could do would be to, well, first of all, to reproduce the level of amputation and meaning what muscle still remains after the amputations. And then we could uh, use the platform to actually simulate the actual prosthetic device that the subject is to be fit with. 
And but then what what what's what's interesting is that we can design the prosthesis controller in simulation. So we can design how the prosthesis will behave in a variety of scenarios. So we can simulate subjects walking at different speeds, uphill, downhill, stairs, uneven terrains. And then we can design in simulation the controller that will best perform across all these scenarios. Um, and then we can upload this controller on the real device. That's the vision. That application would enhance the life of many people. The American organization Access Prosthetics points out that there are more than 1 million annual limb amputations globally, one every 30 seconds. In 2017, there were 2.1 million people living with limb loss in the US, and that number is expected to double by 2050. Below knee amputations are the most common amputations, but it is not only this group that can benefit from the MyoSuite potential. Our AI expert Vittorio sees many possibilities for technologies emerging when we give different perspectives a seat at the table. There is so much that can be done with very uh, simple tools that now we are creating that that will have a huge impact in understanding diseases, in helping people, um, in understanding what they are doing, how they can, for example, rehabilitate. So basic knowledge that we have right now, I feel that we are at the basically the inflection point that can be used. We can really have an impact in the society by making people use those tools and have access to those tools. To make all this possible, I understand that getting proper knowledge on how movement is generated is key. But when I think of moving my foot, then I control it through my brains. I ask Massimo if they are building a digital brain. The idea of MyoSuite um, is indeed to find a way to um, summarize or to create surrogates of the human brain. So rough representations of how the nervous system controls our body. We don't do that using, uh, you could do that using a mechanistic approach by modeling and simulating each individual neurons, but we have many neurons in our, in our nervous system that will be very complex. So the idea of MyoSuite is why don't we why, why not using AI to actually learn some salient features of the nervous system and uh, so that in the end we have a neural network that, uh, loosely speaking, behave like what the nervous system would do for the control of a specific movement. Yeah. Can I uh, basically, for just-in-case reasons, already get a digital representation of how my uh, now healthy limbs are working. So can you collect the data of how my right foot is, is actually being, being controlled by my brain that in case I lose it, uh, you just can upload the data set uh, to the controllers of my, of my prosthetics and, and I can walk in, in the way I used to walk. Yes. Your, your silly walk, you mean? You can still have your own uh, uh, crazy way of, of doing your signature swags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, that's that's possible to do right now. So that's and that's what we do in my lab. So we do build again digital twins of body parts such as legs and arms, and um, those digital twins are ready to to go. They're ready to be used. And the idea is that we can now, for example, also measure some bioelectrical signals from your body, such as the activity that the residual muscles are still generating after an amputation, and then we can use those signals to feed 
uh, the digital twin of the missing leg. Uh, and these digital twins will essentially tell us what the nervous system wants to do. Uh, and the movement that the digital twin will do will be then prescribed back to the prosthesis so that the prosthesis now becomes really a natural extension of your body. It will mimic what your phantom limb wants to do. Yeah. So it will be fed with the data that you put in it, right? Exactly. So uh, you have to think very clear about what data you put in. If you only put swag walks or silly walks in it, everybody is going to, to have that yes. <laughs> walk, right? Yes, yes. It depends on... There, there are several variables. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for <laughs> sure. But we have the technology, I think, to create um, behaviors that are generalizable. Okay. And that's the most important thing. So basically, you're setting up and you are the minister of Silly Walks. Yes. Well, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the Mayo Challenge because it's in full swing at the moment. A lot of teams internationally are working on it right now. What is it? Yes, the, the, the Mayo Challenge is, is an open competition uh, that is open worldwide. Um, and ultimately, is is a great way, in my opinion, to advance um, knowledge and technology uh, uh, surrounding Mayo Suite. So we provide uh, the Mayo Suite framework available to the scientific community. Everyone can use it. We design a number of challenges which we think are um, at, at the edge of the state of the art. Uh, and then we call for a global competition. We call for uh, multiple expert teams worldwide to join this competition and to solve some of the issues that, that we think are important. They are calling on everybody that is interested in the same question we started this series with. How do humans move? Well, as you decided to press play and listen to this podcast, I bet they want you. Kajano, Kumar and Sartori came up with a challenge. This year's competition consists of two tracks. A track on manipulation, focusing on the upper limb, say lifting a bottle and pouring a drink. And a second one, focusing on the lower limb around locomotion, moving from A to B. You hear all about the difficulties in these two human movements in episode 3. First, Stefan and I want to know why they came up with a global challenge to enhance new technologies. I mean, that is a radically different approach than how traditional research is being done. We asked the expert from neuromechanical engineering, Massimo Sartori. You could develop technology in your own lab with your own team, and then after a result is obtained, you could publish it. Or you could actually develop something, make it available to the world, and then ask the entire world or whoever is interested to actually contribute and advance uh, the field. And I think this second paradigm is perhaps faster. So we will perhaps achieve faster results and uh, solutions, maybe more creative solutions that we wouldn't have obtained if only one team was contributing yeah. to it. So it's a, the value, I think, is, is really to accelerate progress and also to um, how to say, um, yeah, to really uh, leverage on the creativity of multiple teams, different ideas, different minds. Nice. Yeah. Stephen, how do you look at this way of doing research? I mean, you're, you had the robotics uh, center here. What do you think of this approach? Well, I think by putting a finish line, basically, 
in, in the calendar, uh, you push a little bit harder on, on the already available or uh, existing motivation of the researchers and the community surrounding those researchers. Because scientific research takes time. It, it, it's always an elaborative process of, of longitudinal studies and especially in a more me medical area like, like this, it, it takes a lot of time. But by pushing it a little bit harder in, 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 this, in a format of a challenge, um, you speed up, but you also get more people excited because there, there's this competition element adding to the fun of it. So it's not only about getting the right answer or tackling this problem, which can be either uh, just an ambition or, or like Massimo's, even a more personal mission uh, to achieve, but it's also fun. And, that, and that's really, uh, I guess, motivating much more people. And therefore, like, like Massimo said, you, you can accelerate much, much, much faster. We see these kind of challenges more often nowadays. Stefan says it's fun, it's faster, but that's not all Van Roon says. And another, I think, benefit is that it's not only the scientific community that, that's joining in this, these challenges. There's also more industry or company-based teams or students uh, just in their spare time joining in the teams. So it, you, you extend and expand a little bit the, the community that's, that's trying to solve the problems yes. and getting more. Why is that a good thing? Because it, it's a good thing because you get alternative ways of looking at it or find new ways to solve a problem. And if you're, no offense Massimo, but if you're a scientist and a professor and w working really long already in a, in a certain field, you have your own uh, way of working, you have your own preferences and your own um, basically history as well. So you, you tend to dive in deeper and deeper. Um, and I think it's a good opportunity if others join that and expand your vision again more broadly uh, to find also solutions that in other ways, in other fields, have been uh, proven successful. Can either one of you think of a concrete example of how a, a, a different perspective than the standard perspective in the team brought a different light, shed a different light on a thing you were trying to tackle? Well, I think you've seen it in the, in the development of electric cars. The traditional car manufacturers are still struggling to get the right e-technology ready. If you look at Tesla, uh, they approached it totally different. They approached it as a software package and build the hardware around it. You saw it with Apple in the in the 80s with the computer. So it's not about developing the software and hardware separately, but but combined, starting uh, in a different angle from a different angle than the traditional industry at that point. If we translate this back to the Mayo challenge, I definitely can see the parallel. Not only insights on AI and the neural networks, but also about the musculoskeletal system, the biomechanics, is making this a quite unique joint venture. Talking about this competition, what is the structural outline? So there are two uh, stages. In the first stage, uh, participants, they are required to uh, create neural networks that can teach these biomechanical models to perform either manipulation or locomotion, depending on the track that they choose. So a team can choose a specific track. Uh, and in the first stage, the level of ambition is a little bit lower in the sense that we ask them to generate neural networks that don't need to generalize across 
different conditions. Um, those teams that pass this stage one, they are invited to compete in stage two, again, either in the manipulation track or in the locomotion track. However, in the second stage, we have an emphasis on generalization. So we want to see that teams are able to generate neural networks that can uh, display or, or generate different type of movements, different type of manipulations or different type of walking trajectories. So it's not just a ad hoc network, but it's more of a sort of master network, a master brain that can uh, generalize. So what is the end product in the end? Is it, uh, it it's a policy, right? Yes, yes. It's um, in the end, um, uh, at the end of this reinforcement learning procedure, there is a policy that's been trained, so that's, that's a neural network, that is capable of generating the activation signals needed for every muscle um, to contract and accelerate all the joints of, of the model. Yeah. So when, um, when you're done with your team with phase two, you submit it? Yes. And when do you find out that you are the winner? So we are planning a workshop in mid-December as part of New RIPS, which is one of the largest um, conferences on, of, of machine learning. And we typically know the final results two to three weeks before uh, the actual announcement. In episode four, the final one in this series, we dive a little deeper in the process of selecting the winner and about the reward of joining the competition. But first, what are the criteria in this challenge? Well, one of the most important criteria is speed. How quick are you in performing the tasks? And next to speed, there is another criterion when it comes to mimicking a human brain. There is also, um, well, a realism in the sense that, you know, our body is extremely redundant. You have many different ways of achieving this, this motion. I could achieve, I could grasp this bottle and turn it by keeping my elbow in a, in a reasonable position, or I could also do it by, for example, raising my elbow. That's, from a biomechanical point of view, this is a feasible solution, right? But that's not what we employ as humans. So we actually want to see solutions that are plausible. Yeah, and that looks natural. That looks natural. Yeah, exactly. okay, clear. We want digital twins, the models, to move natural. And as Sartori says, picking up a bottle can be done in many ways. What is the evolutionary benefit of doing it the way we do it? And why should we be so determined to study that? Now here is my question. If a simple joint and simple actuator could do the job, do we really think evolution was that stupid that to not come up with it, right? The evolution come, came up with such a complex form factor, there has to be a reason. And if there is no reason, then we have to believe evolution was really, really stupid in order to come up with what they came up with as this complex form factor with hundreds of joints and around thousand muscles to control them, right? So I am putting my bet on evolution and Darwinian theory and natural selection is really, really smart. They have data that we can never envision to gather, which is years and generations of data that led us to here. And if we want to create an AI that can emulate that, uh, 
that scale of intelligence captured that kind of data, we'll have to understand how we did it. And specifically, I think the only evidence of an intelligent being is human being right now. And we are trying to somehow match that gold standard, right? And it's a very ambitious goal. It's a very, very ambitious goal. And if we have a successful example of that goal, not studying and understanding that example will be foolish. I am impressed by the drive and eagerness of these scientists. Remember the statistics in the beginning about people who lost a limb? Creating wearable prosthetics is only one future application of the potential of MyoChallenge and MyoSuite. The main goal is to drive healthcare forward with technology. Because nowadays, not many neurologically injured individuals come into contact with technology that can help them. And this frustrates the energetic, passionate professor that is sitting in front of us. This year also, a cousin of mine, he got a spinal cord injury in multiple uh, places. And I had the chance to go and speak to, uh, to him and also to the doctor that it's uh, overseeing him. And still, the, well, the level of technology that is involved and, it, and that, that's really integrated in the rehab program is still very little. There's still not much, unfortunately. There are still some barriers and, and still that's what motivates me to really try to overcome those barriers and create a channel uh, so that <clears throat> robotics and new technologies, they can enter uh, the clinical practice. Um, what feeling does that give to you? I mean, you're into the high-tech next level uh, solutions here and you see that what is really being implemented and being used in treatment is so far away from each other. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating not to be able to provide the right tools right away, right? So he still has to go through a, a rather traditional rehab process. And despite the frustration, you know, this further motivates me and it gives me the, 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 um, the reasons to, to continue. And, um, and that's also what, what gives value to what I do, I think. But do you say that basically you and your lab have more advanced of or useful technology that could help your cousin instead of the more traditional technology that he's been offered now? Yes, I think so. I think that in my lab, we do have uh, technologies. Uh, they are in the, in the proof of concept sta state because we're not a company, we, we're just a lab and we, we do research. Our goal is to advance knowledge. But the proof of concepts that we have, I think that could be of help. And um, they could be translated. This is the exact gap the Mayo Suite can bridge. The gap between high-level technology and the clinical practice. With over a span of only two years, the Mayo Challenge is a magnet for people all over the world, eager to engage. Now the team is growing, and with over 22,000 Mayo Suite downloads, also the audience is growing. And that was beyond Sartori's dreams. No, it's, it's, um, it's incredible. It's extremely refreshing and energizing to see that there are people interested in using this. And it's not just the people in, in my lab or you know, the, in, 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 in a small group, but there are people worldwide that are actually spending weeks to actually compete in a challenge and, and do something with it and maybe even surprise us, do something that we were not able to do ourselves to begin with or that we even didn't think about it. So it's just very 
motivating and energizing. Well, Stephen, we've met the dream team now. We've met the scientists that founded the Mayo Suite and the Mayo Challenge. Yes, amazing people. And the team expanded over the past years as well. Indeed, so let's give some credit where it's due. In the 2023 Mayo Challenge are involved. Huawei Wang, University of Twente, Sang Moon Song and Chung Kwan Tan, both from Northeastern University, Guillaume Darando and Sherry Wang, both from McGill University, from Meta AI Research, that is Cameron Burke, We've got Pierre Schumacher closing the line. He is from Max Planck Institute for Intelligent Systems and Hertie Institute for Clinical Brain Research. Well, that's a mouthful. This team embarked on their adventure and I know that every adventure has its setbacks and that probably also counts for science. Definitely, Anique, science is an adventure. And in the next episode, we'll double tap on the technology itself and talk about AI in digital twins. In the third episode, we dive into the two tracks, manipulation and locomotion. And we save the best for last. Literally, the final episode is all about the winning team. Can't wait for that. Please subscribe to this channel in order to not miss out on anything. And you can find the Robotics Center on LinkedIn as well. We'd love to connect with you. Bye. Bye. This Mayo Challenge podcast is brought to you by the University of Twente's Robotics Center.